of Africa is a beautiful and diverse region of the African continent. Sadly, many countries in the region have long experienced political conflict and war. Common people in Ethiopia, Somalia, Eritrea, and Sudan have suffered most from these conflicts. Ethiopia in 2022 is in the middle of a civil war based in the northern region of Tigray. And there are other conflicts taking place throughout Ethiopia between the military, multiple ethnic-based militias, local police, and most sadly, instances of intercommunal ethnic or religious-based violence, which are mostly taking place in the Oromia region. Hello, Georges Collinet with you, on Afropop Worldwide from PRX. Today, we will see how music reveals deep truth about this troubled nation. This episode, Oromo music, historical memory and competing visions in Ethiopia. Ethiopia has had a turbulent history, characterized by a strong central government, which has held power through coercion and force. But many older Ethiopians say that they can't remember a time in which the social fabric between neighbors was so stretched. To help us tell this story, my guest today is Kumera Zekarias. Kumera is a PhD student in ethnomusicology at Boston University. Hey, Kumera, how are you? Hello, George. It's truly a pleasure to be here. I'm Kumera Zekarias, but you can call me Kume. I play a lot of music, but I've recorded and performed Oromo music. And I grew up in the U.S. My father is Oromo, and my mother comes from the Amara ethnic group. All right, Kumei. Hey, before we go on, tell me about the music we are listening to. This is probably my favorite Oromo song. It's Inyadini by Ali Birra. The general lyrics of the song mean, don't worry about it. Ali Birra is widely accepted as the greatest living Oromo artist. He's been active as a musician since the 1960s. Music, the Oromo people, and Oromo nationalism are complicated topics. In some ways, this episode is part of my own process to make sense of a complex and often painful family history. I thought the best way to tackle such a wide topic is to focus on firsthand stories of a seemingly innocuous show that took place in 1977. It's remembered as the 1977 Oromo Cultural Showcase in Finfine. But before we get to the showcase, it's important to consider the historical context in which this show took place. Why something as simple as a concert was a revolutionary event for Oromos in Ethiopia at the time. I heard you say Finfine and Addis Abeba, of course. What is Finfine? The people we will hear from today use both Finfine and Addis Ababa to refer to the land on which the Ethiopian capital sits. Finfine was the name of an Oromo village that predates Addis Ababa. 
Addis was founded in the late 19th century, and the contested status of the city is central to understanding Oromo nationalism and how music is a form of historical memory. A lot of moving parts in this story. Let's start first with some of the basics about the Oromo people, their culture and their history. Here is Roba Bulga, a PhD student at Tufts University, who is from the Karayu Oromo tribe. I am Roba, Roba Bulga. I'm from Ethiopia. The Karayu are known among Oromo as one of the tribes who are the main guardians of our ancestral knowledge and governance system. The Oromos are one of the biggest nations in East Africa, especially in Ethiopia. These are the people who speak Stefano Romo, who has uh, the Sirnagada or the Geda system. It has been briefly interrupted by Abyssinian colonizers, but they managed to retain that system. The Oromo, who has a very deep culture of living together, giving respect to the nature, rich system of you know, governing the natural resource with strong social bonds and fabrics. Roba is using the term nation to refer to the Oromo. He explains what nation means when used this way. Nation for me is the group of people that has the same root, same culture, tradition, and shared that for millennium, probably more than that. That's what I call nation. But the dictionary might say different thing. <laughs> Important to understanding the Oromo nation is also the system of governance and shared belief systems that Roba mentioned earlier. The Oromo Gada system is an indigenous, democratic, socio-political system of governance that was practiced in most Oromo regions prior to their often violent incorporation into the Ethiopian state beginning in the 19th century. It was inscribed by UNESCO in 2016 as intangible cultural heritage. Yes, according to UNESCO, the Gada system regulates political, economic, social, and religious activities of the community dealing with issues such as conflict resolution, reparation, and protecting women's rights. It's quite comprehensive. It is. Population figures in Ethiopia may not be fully accurate. But there are currently at least 45 million Oromos who live mostly in Ethiopia. And then there's the Borana clan who lives in southern Ethiopia and northern Kenya. The Borana are an official group in Kenya's multi-ethnic system. And a large Oromo diaspora spread between the Middle East, other African countries, Europe, North America, and Australia. Within such a large ethnic group, there's definitely diversity, including differences in local dialects of the Oromo language. As Roba mentioned, the Oromo are organized into a system of clans, sub-clans, and then tribes. We would be remiss if we didn't talk about the natural environment and how nature is integrated into the Gada system and Wakafina, the ancestral Oromo religion. Roba talks about the Oda, the large sycamore trees that are sacred among the Oromo. Oda is it's a sacred tree for Oromo because it's also the big evergreen tree. I mean, we are not disconnected from nature. We are part of the nature, you know, and, and Oromo has that deep understanding of nature. And Oda is one of the trees that allows people to sit down like a big hall to have your gathering. And that's where the people gather and talk about daily life, important issues. Also, people don't cut Oda because it's a, it's a sacred tree. Oh, <laughs> 
Among current Oromo communities in the Horn of Africa and in the diaspora, certain elements of Gada are still practiced, but many Oromo abandoned these practices beginning in the late 19th century as a result of what some Oromo refer to as Ethiopian colonialism. This is an incredibly controversial topic within the Horn of Africa, with competing claims around the actual history. First-hand stories and personal histories are crucial to understanding why Oromo living under the control of the Ethiopian Empire began to distance themselves from their traditional culture, including from their name. Dr. Mafakuwe Kumsa is professor of social work at Wilfrid Laurier University in Canada. Here she recounts how she was teased and bullied in school because of her Oromo name, Kuwe. At my birth ritual, I was given Kuwe. The kids at school used to tease me, Kuwe, Kuwe, they used to laugh at me and ridicule me. Martha was supposed to be protecting me from that kind of oppression. So Martha, Kuwe, Kumsa, that's my full name. When I was going to school, we started the Amharic script. Ah, ooh, he, ah, you know? <laughs> there is a, a place that says, Ko, ku, koe, kwa, koe. Laugh at me. <laughs> As if it's something like, a, like a, a wild name or something. Today, like I'm 67 years old, and I hear those voices, those kids, surrounding me and taunting me and go Now, 67 years, they're very traumatic. I have friends who have Oromo names and whether they go to school, whether they go to the hospital, what, what, what? You say your name and what? You're such a beautiful girl. How can you have this terrible name? But why was she being teased about her name? From speaking with my own family and people who lived during that time, this happened in the spaces associated with the state or the government. So we're talking schools, courts, the university, the office, these kinds of locations. Oromo culture was seen as a rural, superstitious, and backward culture. For example, my legal last name is Ganet. In the Horn of Africa, most ethnicities take their father's first name as their last name. My grandfather's name is Ganeti, not Ganet. But Ganet is an Amharic name, and Ganeti is definitely an Oromo name. So my family changed their last name in the 1960s when they entered secondary school. In a previous Afropop episode on Ethiopia, Empire and Revolution, Francis Falsetto, if you remember, mentioned that musicians from the Empire's southern territories made up the majority of horn players in the imperial court. But what exactly were these southern territories? There's a wide difference of opinion depending on who you speak with in Ethiopia or in the diaspora. Historically, the Ethiopian Empire is often mythologized as being connected with emperors who traced their lineage back to King Solomon. And that empire was based in what would today be northern and central Ethiopia and the Red Sea coast of Eritrea. This vision of Ethiopia asserts that the areas to the south, which were mostly inhabited by the Oromo, Sidama, Walaita, the Gomuz, and various other ethnic groups, were always historically within the influence of the Ethiopian empires. Other people, like me, say that these southern ethnicities existed independently and had control of their territories prior to the expansion of the Ethiopian Empire in the late 19th century. 
In this view, the creation of the modern Ethiopian state in the late 19th century is not the restoration of the historical provinces of the empire or the story of diverse ethnic groups uniting for protection from European colonialism. Instead, it's the story of ethnic nations that were violently conquered and lost their ability to self-govern. Ah, so even though Ethiopia was never successfully colonized by Europeans, it still faces many of the same post-colonial challenges around ethnic rights, inclusion, and land ownership. Exactly. So then after these southern and eastern territories are incorporated into the empire, the Oromo become the largest ethnic group within the Ethiopian empire. Dr. Kuwe shares more about the southern expansion under the Ethiopian emperor Menelik II and how it displaced the Tuluma Oromo clan. As the empire moved south, they also evicted other people. Uh, the southern nations and nationalities, the Sidama, the Walaita, the, all of them. So as Minilik's empire moved south, they too faced the fate of the Oromo. But the Oromo were the ones who were really hurt because the European guns tipped the balance of the region and they were the ones who were really crushed. Mm. Competing histories. The Ethiopian Empire had a written form going back to before the Common Era. The Oromo, like many African and indigenous societies, use oral history. Dr. Kue learned the history of the Tuluma Oromo displacement partly through songs performed by local folk singers. There are Oromo singers everywhere in the, in the rural areas, in the cities. Azmari, Masinko, Kabatani. Masinko is the traditional one-string violin, and Kebatani refers to drums. They sang, and all those singers, all the songs were just the pouring out of pain because of the displacement, especially around the Tulama. Uh, Oromos were displaced from around, from Shawa. Shewa is a large region that includes the Ethiopian capital, Addis Abeba. And some of them were evicted from their land, from their ancestral lands, and sent away. They just, just left homeless, forced away from their land. They sang, they sang songs of dispossession and displacement. Those songs were really the basis of Oromo consciousness. The story of the Tuluma Oromo is perhaps best encapsulated in the song Malanjira by Achalu Undesa. Achalu was the most popular contemporary Oromo singer until he was tragically murdered in late June 2020. Yeah, every single person who I interviewed or spoke with about this project implored me to include Achalu's song Malanjira. The title translates to What Existence is Mine? 
On the surface, it's a love song, but it's also the story about the displacement of the Turuma Oromo from Finfine. It came out in 2015, which was a time when the Ethiopian government intended to massively increase the size of Addis Ababa, and doing so by further annexing surrounding Oromo lands. The foundation of Infine is a land grab from the Oromos who used to live, you know, in all over that Infine valley, and that speaks to everybody. But it was galvanized with a love story, so people didn't get it. You know, especially you need to sit down and listen. Of course, if you are Oromo after a, a day, you understand, hmm, it's not about love anymore. Here, Roba is alluding to the double meaning of songs, the concept of wax and gold in Ethiopian music, hiding political lyrics behind the facade of a love song. Yes, this came up a lot, the need to avoid the violent consequences of opposing the Ethiopian state. Ajalu's murder was a tragedy, and that tragedy begat other tragedies. The Ethiopian government blamed Achalu's murder on the Oromo Liberation Army, an ethnic-based militia in the region. The official Ethiopian government account is that Achalu was murdered by this armed Oromo group as a false flag attack, intended to infuriate Oromos and to destabilize the Ethiopian state. I don't honestly know many people who believe that narrative. The story is complicated, but I can tell you this. When Achalu was murdered, I just cried uncontrollably because I knew that that would tear the society apart. Here is Malan Jira by Achalu Ndesa. Kume, you had a chance to speak with some young Oromo music fans, right? I started this project like just about anything related to Oromo folks or Ethiopia. I called up a cousin. I sat down to have a group conversation with members of the Washington, D.C. Oromo community. What did they have to say about that chalu? They had a lot to say. Here's how we're talking about Malanjira. So, for example, Malanjira by Hachalu Hundesa. That's like a love song, a political song, and like a historical song wrapped into one. And there was this one part where he says, Gulale um, Kantufa, which means Gulale is tufas, but you know, 
before listening to that song, I didn't know who Tufel was. Mm-hmm. I'm just like, okay, this is a part of the song. I don't know who this is. But actually, Tufel was a, a Tuluma leader who ruled over the Gudangle area in Finfinne. Mm-hmm. And you know, this was during the Oromo protest movement when we were talking about the master plan and land grab. So like what he was saying, like, was connecting to what was happening then to what happened to Tufamuna and the Tuluma Oromos on their land. Hey, Kume, when do we get to the 1977 showcase? I promise we'll get there. The showcase took place over two days, but we have to condense almost 100 years of history first. Dr. Kue puts it better than I can. The show didn't drop from the sky. It had many things that led to the show. So many things fed into it. And part of it is the revolution. Up to this point, we've heard about the history of Oromos under the rule of the Ethiopian Empire, land dispossession and exploitation under the feudal agricultural system mostly affected the rural farmers who still make up the majority of Ethiopia's population, and cultural assimilation was also an issue. But it's important to state that Oromos were present at every level of the Ethiopian state, in the military, in the government and especially athletics. The majority of Ethiopian distance runners come from Oromia. In fact, even the emperor, Haile Selassie, was multi-ethnic and had Oromo ancestry. And yet... Haile Selassie isn't remembered well by many Oromo. The analogy I always use is that the Dominican dictator Rafael Trujillo had Haitian ancestry, but was also deeply anti-Haitian. Genealogy in and of itself doesn't dictate a leader's politics or policies. However, there is also the fact that many Oromo in Ethiopia did not prioritize their ethnic identity and were loyal to the Ethiopian state and to the emperor. Oromo nationalism and Ethiopian nationalism both operate on fluid continuums. There's a push and pull between these forces depending on the time period and material conditions of people in Ethiopia. The late 1960s and early 1970s was a period in which migration within Ethiopia, international socialism, and black Pan-African politics deeply influenced these students. In the 1960s, things started to change as more Oromos and other historically marginalized groups like Eritreans and ethnic Somalis began to leave their home areas for education and work. They were able to compare life in the capital to conditions back home. When I came to Finfinne, to university, it's like fish out of water experience. Anybody, when you are plucked out of your social networks and taken elsewhere, there's a a level of adjustment that you need to make. I was in the university. There are many Oromos, but they hide under this Amharic name. They hide under the Amharic culture. And you don't know whether they're Oromos or not. So there's that piece that was such a shock for me. It's a like real culture shock. And for students like Dr. Kuwe, 
Arriving in the capital also meant closer proximity to imperial government and culture. We thought the Haile Selassie was our father. His picture was everywhere in school and on, in our homes, like on the on the wall and everything. Oh, Baba Janhoi, oh, Baba Janhoi is what we used to call them. And Amharic was the song, Amharic was the language. Damsho Ali was a lyric writer in the seminal early Oromo cultural group Afran Kalo. Damsho was also the MC for the 1977 cultural showcase. But in the late years of the Haile Selassie government, he was a newly arrived student at Addis Ababa University. Damsho comes from the eastern Ethiopian region of Harargay, but he's now based in Toronto. At that time, it's called Haile Selassie University. I was a first-year student. It was different when we arrived because people are afraid of speaking Oromo language. The other students were looking at us as uh, strange people. You speak your own language and then people look at you as if you are not in their wavelength or you are, you are not one of them. It's important to remember that Ethiopia, like most African countries, is an incredibly diverse place. It is home to approximately 80 ethnic languages. Yes, and in this time period when more Oromo and other ethnic groups from the southern and eastern parts of the empire were attending school in Addis, this also coincided with the better-known golden era of Ethiopian music. More on the golden era and the Oromo cultural showcase coming up as we continue our deep dive into the story of the Oromo in Ethiopia. I'm Georges Collinet, and you're listening to Afropop Worldwide from PRX. Urban students were definitely in on the fun during the period known as Swingin' Addis. Funky new takes on Amharic songs were everywhere. I love Amharic songs. I loved Lahunga Sasa songs. I loved Alamayo Shete. Oh my God. That's Amharic songs for me. And they, they're so sweet. I love them. But this musical explosion was not equally felt throughout the empire. Each of the 80 language groups and ethnicities in Ethiopia has a multitude of musical traditions to draw from. But very little Oromo music was recorded in this time period. However, sometimes famous singers like Talahunga Sessa would record songs in Oromo. Once in a long while, there would be an Oromo song. Once near the New Year Eve, we sat up all night because all the new songs came at that time. And we sat up and, sat and, and listened to the radio and everything. Damsho has similar memories of this period. They include one song in their album. And uh, at the time, there was uh, a rumor 
being spread as it foremost on the specs, the radio. We used to be, oh, you can't speak uh, Afan Oromo like Galinya. Galinya is what it's called. You can't speak Galinya on the phone because it, it breaks the phone. Galinya is based on the pejorative term Gala. That's the old way to refer to Oromo language in Amharic. The correct term is Afan Oromo, which translates to the Oromo language. Here is one of Tilahun Gesese's Oromo songs, Arkafune, which I'm sure did not break any radios. Arkafune, a song in Oromo by the great Tilaun Gesese. By this time, Oromo students, government officials, and business leaders from different areas of the empire began to organize in Addis Abeba, before, during, and after the Ethiopian revolution. At this same time, local Oromo cultural troops were being formed throughout the countryside in different regions. These troops were intended to develop popular forms of Oromo song based on regional traditions and to instill a sense of pride in Oromo culture, similarly to how the Black Arts Movement had a symbiotic relationship with the Black Power Movement in the United States. These Oromo cultural troops were developing alongside early Oromo nationalist organizations like the Machatuluma Self-Help Association and the Oromo Liberation Front. Before he made the move to Addis, Damshow was part of the most famous of these cultural troops, the Afran Karo Band. Hariris refers to the ethnic group who live in the city of Harar. So they never had their own band. They established Afran Karo. Afran Karo is the people who live in that area. All the tribes of Oromo 
police in the Harar area. When the band started, it became so popular because the songs, the lyrics speaks the oppression of all the people. So somehow the people loved it because the songs take their inner feelings, ambitions, desires. And these bands were entirely community-led and supported. In fact, Dumshow and others have told me how hard it was for them to even organize shows in their home regions. Keep in mind that the Harage region in the story is a predominantly Oromo area. I was young when the first group came to our town and played. I was with my friend. We went to the show. There was no help from the government for everything Oromos do in the area. They never allowed. They never allowed. And I remember the same happened to Alberta several times. So what the Oromos used to do, they put up a tent and then the band sings in the tent. It happened so many times when I was young. So they were not allowed to sing. The most famous alumni of the Afran Karu band is Ali Bira. Awash is another song that operates at different levels of meaning. On the surface, it's a love song in which someone is looking for his love and travels through different Oromo parts of the empire to find her. But by naming the different Oromo region, Alibira is constructing a nation. Both Dr. Kue and Roba think that the object of Alibira's affection is not a person, but instead a love of the Oromo nation, which has been scattered through these different territories. Here he is, singing one of his early songs, Awash. The oud sound is characteristic in Eastern Oromo music. Now, another artist active in this early period of Oromo popular music is Abdullahi Jirma.
comes from the Borana clan who live in both Kenya and Ethiopia. Yeah, I mean, I'm a, I'm a guitarist and I spend hours searching on YouTube for Borana guitar or Oud music from Kenya. My good friend and collaborator, Talib Razi, is a talented musician who is also studying Oromo music in the Oud and the guitar. His heritage is from Sri Lanka and he's been my best study buddy on this older string-based music from the Horn of Africa. In East Africa, it seems that what happened was the local melodies that were already being sung or used on other instruments were simply transposed to the oud. The one exception might be occasional grace notes, which feel very um, sort of maybe more Middle Eastern influenced. I'll just play a short part of Oromo Girl as an example. So in music theory-wise, it's in the key of D minor, pentatonic, you would say in English, bati, if you're talking in, in terms of Ethiopian scales, um, which would be... Beautiful. That was a short excerpt of Talib's song, Oromo Girl, dedicated to his wife, Ayantu, who is Oromo from the same region as Damsho and Afran Kalo. During the mid-1970s, the Ethiopian revolution initially opened up new opportunities for Oromo cultural and political organizing in Addis. By this time, Dr. Kuwe was working as a journalist for Barisa, a newly formed private newspaper run by Oromo nationalists. Dr. Kuwe reflects on her involvement in the revolution and changes it brought to Ethiopian cultural policy 
during the first years of the military junta known as the Derg. We were just students chanting and screaming and pointing out the faults and whatever, but not an organized party. The only organized party was the military. So it came and finished off the emperor and took power. The military could not stay in power because the energy of the revolution was still in the air. They had to appease this risen people, risen population. They had to appease them and to appease them because of the slogan, land to the tiller, land to the tiller. They had to confiscate land, get rid of the feudal lords, landlords, take the land, distribute it among the people. And it's not just the land, it's also the identity of the people, like Oromos, for example. We said, we are Oromos, we're not Gala, we are Oromos. So from that time on, the Derg had to acknowledge our name, not just acknowledge. It had to start a newspaper, radio programs in Afan Oromo. Once they started the radio program, we, Oromo nationalists, started Barisa, the newspaper too. We needed the newspaper to go out. People needed newspaper in their language. So the newspaper started and they, they rounded up all the vendors and collected all their newspapers and burnt it in public. So it won't get to the people. Dr. Kuwe is describing private citizens burning the newspaper. Meanwhile, the Derg itself actually allowed Barisa to operate. Dr. Kuwe translated the Communist Manifesto into Afanoromo, but the publication was delayed for nine months until the book could first be translated and published in Amharic. Some Ethiopians accused the people behind Barisa of being narrow ethnic nationalists and sought to suppress it. Meanwhile, the new Oromo language newspaper was not generating income nor reaching its intended audience. And that is how the idea for the 1977 Oromo Cultural Showcase arose. Berka wrote the Oromos this project to support Barisa, and the cultural show event was organized. The idea was to call Oromos from different regions to participate in the cultural show and to do also fundraising for Parisa. Performers would come from the many Oromo cultural troops, like Afrankaru, which has sprung up around the country in the late years of the empire. They were all singing, different small groups everywhere. Consciousness was really increasing, and all of this built up to the cultural show. And the cultural show, like I said, it didn't drop from the sky. It came out of all of these spaces that were struggling on their own. The grassroots singers and the Afrankallos were coming together from all of these dispersed places. It's a point of gathering instead of dispersing. The music itself shows that gathering. <laughs> 
bring them together so they get to know one another. You get to know how big they are. Entire 11 provinces of the country is Oromo. So we brought people from Wollo, from Ararke, from Bale, from Arsi, from Gamugofa at that time, from Borana, from Wallaga, from Ilobabur. And that was a bombshell. It was a bombshell. That's the turning point that uh, the cultural show created. This imagery of various Oromo clans gathering together works on a few different levels. In the Gada system, before the conquest, there were large gatherings, ceremonies and governance events that regularly took place in Oromo areas. The best known is Iretsha, observed annually by between 3 and 4 million people in the cities of Bishoftu and Addis. Part of the organizing, part of bringing people from the various parts of the, the country, we were involved in all of this. And I, as a journalist, was running with this huge tape recorder. I was running around after the singers and, oh, you're from Alubaba, you're from Wallo. I was interviewing like crazy, running around. <laughs> so even before we got to the stage, we were doing all of these things. Dr. Kue and others in the Oromo community in Finfine were busy planning the showcase and providing mutual aid for the musicians who came from 11 regions to perform at the showcase. When they came, it was this, this is, this, these are poor people, right? Trying to like scrounge pennies and everything and putting together this fund to bring all of these cultural groups from all of these places. And where do we put them? We were also taking, uh, okay, I'll take people, so and so many people to my home. And Halurji takes 10 of them. I take five of them spread out to all of these homes. The show was in our homes too. So we were taking care of all of them and we were feeding them. The show took place in the National Theatre in Addis Abeba, a prestigious venue that most attendees had never entered before. Local cultural troops, similar to Afran Kalo, performed for two days. These troops would do traditional songs and new works composed just for the occasion. A few moments before the show began, Dam Show was enlisted to be the event MC. The person who introduced the singers was not there. I think that day, a friend of me pulled me and they said, you can do this, go introduce the singer. So when I went on the stage, that theatre hall had never been seen like that. And when I appeared there, I really uh, a new thing, a new experience in my life. There was that, there was that excitement. Uh, we were not just spectators, you know. We were the actors, and we were together. Oh my lord, you should you should listen to the songs. God. God, and just the lyrics, the songs they were singing. Like, for example, one was just Billy Summa, Billy Summa, everybody wants Billy Summa. Billy Summa means liberation or freedom in Afan Oromo. Hello, Dawe from Ararke was saying, Kajimanda Rare, Kararatu Sare, Billy Summa Tanto, Sumanamarare. Here is a surviving recording of that performance from the showcase. Mm-hmm. 
Dr. Kue also remembers how artists would use melodies from Amharic songs praising Ethiopia for their Oromo nationalist songs. Aizostanish, come on, get up, Ethiopia. We are your children, the group from RC. <laughs> they sang that song. Ethiopia, they didn't say that. See, you can see the start of competing nationalisms right there. Oromia, get up. We're, here we are, your children. We're trying to take you further. Here we are. Come, let's go, Oromia, Oromia. <laughs> Instead of the, oh, come, Ethiopia. Let, let's take you further, whatever. Mm -mm. This is Oromia. This is an Oromo space. It was just an amazing thing. You can't believe. And then Alvira started singing. Oromo the tune and then the The lyrics, the meaning. Oromo the tune and the Saying an Oromo is not a crime. It is a nation known, known in the world. Obodamsho is touching on another common thread in Oromo nationalism, which is a longing for recognition as a people. I know that as a musician, no one I ever come across has heard of Oromo music. Uh, by the way, George, do you remember when we met in 2016 at Tonal Park Studios outside of D.C.? Yeah, I remember. I was spending the morning with my good friend at Tacoma Radio. Yeah, and my band Kino Musica was recording our EP at the time. The song we were recording was a cover of an old Oromo song. It was important to me that my first recorded composition would be an Oromo song because I think this music is beautiful and special. The showcase was a participatory event. Damsho would often have to read aloud the performers' lyric sheets because it was too noisy in the theater to hear the singers clearly. And there were also differences among regional dialects of Afan Oromo that occasionally caused confusion. It's not the spectators and performers. It's everybody's a performer. Everybody's a spectator. Everybody. So that oneness oneness of spirit, the broken spirit that was shattered and spread all over is shard by shard, piece by piece brought together. They are together for the first time in centuries, right? But I was a healer too. I was in there like the whole day, both days. But the first day, everybody was singing Bilisumma, Bilisumma, and crying, hugging each other and crying. We are brothers who have been separated. We are sisters who have been separated. The showcase was a fleeting moment, but part of its oral history was Dr. Kuwe's reported reaction after she left the theater at the end of the second day. 
I don't remember saying that, but it's a story now. Everybody knows this story. When I was coming out of the National Theater, I come out. I thought I was going to come out into a liberated uh, country, right? I come out and I see the Ethiopian flag. And I said, it's still there. (laughs) I don't remember saying that, but somebody was watching me. I come out and the flag is still there waving at me. And I said, oh my God, I thought you were gone. The show served its purpose of reviving Oromo cultural music and spreading a nationalist message. However, the Derg regime soon realized that allowing communities to develop as ethnic nations could weaken the Ethiopian state. The crackdown on musicians, organizers, and the Oromo nationalist movement was swift. Within weeks, Dr. Kuwe was imprisoned for her involvement in organizing the showcase. She would stay in jail for 10 years, along with Kume's beloved aunt. As for Damsho, well, he quit the university and joined the Oromo Liberation Front. My family is still living with the consequences of their involvement in this show and in the Oromo nationalist movement. One question that I always ask my elders and other Oromo to articulate is what is Bilisuma or what does liberation mean to them? Is it a new country? Is it human rights and land rights within the Ethiopian state? Why, why did you spend 10 years of your life in prison? It's for Bilisuma, right? I'm telling you, yes. But what is Bilisuma? Tell me, why did I spend 10 years there? What was I looking for? I was looking for a liberation. When I mean liberation, I mean liberation from all forms of oppression, whether it's gender, whether it's uh, national liberation, whether it's class, all of this. We have to be liberated from all of this and Oromo national liberation struggle. Actually, in its very first program, it says liberation from all forms of oppression. That is liberation for me. As a woman, look at our political organizations, look at our institutions, how many women are in those, in those higher, higher places. And as long as there is gender oppression, group oppression, there is no liberation for me. So liberation for me is liberation from all forms of oppression. Kume, man, this is quite a story. It is, and things didn't stop in 1977. The story becomes even more complicated as the years go by, and that continues to this day. But the Oromo story, or the Oromo question, as it's often called in Ethiopian politics, is integral to understanding the history of not just Ethiopia, but the Horn of Africa and why things are the way that they are today. I want to deeply thank everybody who was a part of the research and arranging this project, especially the people in the interviews, in particular Dr. Kue and Obodamsho Ali. I wish the best for all of you.
Funding for Afropop Worldwide comes from the National Endowment for the Arts, which believes a great nation deserves great art, and from PRX affiliate stations around the U.S. And thank you for supporting your public radio station. Visit afropop.org for more on Oromo culture and history. You can find us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at AfropopWW. My Afropop partner is Sean Barlow. Sean produces our program for World Music Productions. Research and production for this program by Kumera Gennett. And be sure to subscribe to our podcast, including radio programs and our Afropop Close-Up podcast series. And don't forget to join us next week for another edition of Afropop Worldwide. Our chief audio engineer is Michael Jones. This program was mixed at Studio 44 in Brooklyn by Zubin Hansler. Additional engineering by Kumera Gennett and GC from the Syncopated Lair in Washington, D.C. Banning Air and C.C. Smith edit our website, afropop.org. Our director of new media is Mukwai Wabe Siyolwe. And I'm Georges Collinet.